Welcome to Aaron Menke's Cabinet of Curiosities, a production of iHeartRadio and Grim and Mild. Our world is full of the unexplainable. And if history is an open book, all of these amazing tales are right there on display, just waiting for us to explore. Welcome to the Cabinet of Curiosities. The job of a research scientist can be pretty thankless. For every major breakthrough and miracle cure, there are countless studies conducted that go nowhere, yield middling results, or fly under the radar. But those studies, and the documentation of them, are necessary if we ever hope to move science forward. Yet in 1975, one scientist and his assistant authored a paper that didn't just influence the field of physics. It made one of them famous for years to come. Jack H. Hetherington taught physics at Michigan State University back in the 1970s. He'd been studying how helium behaved when subjected to different temperatures and wrote a paper on his findings. He'd done all the work himself, but when he gave the paper to a colleague for their opinion, they noted something odd about how it was written. Hetherington kept referring to we instead of I throughout the paper. He had his reasons, of course. For one, egos were high in the scientific community— If a paper shared multiple authors, one author couldn't stand above the others and gain attention in their field. Two, the pay structure for a paper was different when multiple authors were involved. Unfortunately, Hetherington couldn't write it on a computer. He'd done it on a typewriter, and fixing the mistake would have required him to manually retype the entire thing. But he also didn't want to share credit with anyone else. So he held out on adding another name to the title page. But after thinking it over one night, Hetherington's gut told him that he had to get it published sooner rather than later. He was left without any other option and gave in, writing down the first name he could think of, his assistant, Professor Willard. The scientific paper, titled Two, Three, and Four Atom Exchange Effects in BCC-3HE, was submitted to Physical Review Letters, a major physics journal. It was listed as having been co-authored by J.H. Hetherington and F.D.C. Willard, and it was finally published in November of 1975. At first, no one batted an eye at the additional name. The assistant didn't mind either. Then, someone came knocking. A visitor asked to speak with Hetherington about his paper, but the author couldn't do it at the time, so the visitor asked to speak to Willard instead. That, too, was impossible. Even more suspicious was the time when Hetherington and Willard had to sign copies of their paper. One such copy made its way to France, where a physics conference was being held in 1978. Conference organizers had wanted to invite Willard to speak at the event, but after taking one look at his signature, they rescinded the invitation. They also barred Hetherington from speaking as well. And as if things couldn't get any worse, rumors started to spread about Professor Willard. According to the gossip, Hetherington's wife was allowing Willard to sleep in their bed at night, starting a scandal within the scientific community. In reality, though, there was nothing to worry about. Hetherington had no problem sharing the bed with both his wife and his assistant, not when that assistant was so soft and cuddly. FDC Willard's name was actually Felis Domesticus Chester Willard, the term Felis Domesticus meaning common house cat. The cat, whose real name was Chester, had been sired by his father, Willard, and so the nom de plume was born. Hetherington never regretted his decision. In fact, it made him kind of a celebrity around the university, 
and among his fellow physicists. And Professor Willard went on to author another paper in 1980, this one written in French. The real authors, Hetherington being one of them, couldn't agree on the veracity of the content within, so Hetherington offered FDC Willard as a stand-in for all of them. This way, if anything was found to be incorrect, it wouldn't come back to haunt them or their reputations, and his poor cat could take all the blame. Willard lived to the ripe old age of 14, passing away in 1982. He left a lasting impact on the field of physics, and his papers are still quoted today. And if you want to know if the paper you're reading was actually co-written by one Professor F.D.C. Willard, all you have to do is look for his unique signature, an inky paw print in the middle of the page. They say never go grocery shopping while you're hungry. You're liable to buy more than you need to satisfy your cravings. It might be better to channel that hunger into something more productive. And that's what one resourceful man did in 1964. But our story actually begins before then, back in the 19th century. You see, you might not realize it, but a lot of the candy that we enjoy today got its start over a hundred years ago. For example, Good and Plenty Licorice was created in Philadelphia way back in 1893. And annual visitors to the Jersey Shore might buy a bag of saltwater taffy for their return trip home, unaware that the chewy treat was first made in Atlantic City in the 1880s. Much of the candy sold during this time was also known as penny candy, sold for a penny apiece in drugstores and five and dimes. Clerks would scoop out various treats from glass containers and then dump them into bags, meaning the candy was often sold in bulk, rather than individually for one cent per unit. And at least one of those candies is still produced to this day. It's a squishy, orange-colored combination of sugar, corn syrup, pectin, and other ingredients that have been formed into the shape of a common peanut. Bite into one, and your taste buds are immediately flooded with a flavor that has been described by some as dishonorable banana. Now, over the years, circus peanuts took on different flavors, like orange, and were only sold during certain times of the year since keeping them fresh was difficult. But as cellophane packaging took off in the 1940s, they became more widely available, and in different colors too, such as yellow and white. Though circus peanuts are still sold today, their popularity has dwindled when compared to such modern confections like Skittles, M&Ms, Nerds, and even the true and tried candy bar. But John Hollihan saw the value in circus peanuts over 50 years ago, while he was serving as the vice president of General Mills. The company was looking to bolster its roster of breakfast cereals. A new cereal, especially something unlike anything else they were making at the time, would have been expensive to produce. It would have required research and testing and new machines, all things that General Mills didn't want to spend money on. So instead, they framed their new initiative as a challenge, using the company's existing manufacturing capabilities for things like Cheerios and Wheaties. Employees were encouraged to create something brand new, and they were given six months. Hollihan started researching, beginning with a box of Cheerios. Along the way, he came across a pack of circus peanuts, and that's when he saw the whole picture. He took the Cheerios and the banana candy and got to work. Little by little, Hollihan cut up the circus peanuts into tiny pieces, which he sprinkled over a bowl full of cereal. His idea was a hit, and General Mills put the concept into production. 
The marshmallow pieces were referred to as marbits, while the oat pieces came in shapes like bells and arrowheads. General Mills even brought on an advertising company to help sell the new cereal to the masses, and they decided to market it around a popular fashion trend at the time, charm bracelets. Over time, the cereal changed to adapt to the changing tastes of the people who ate it, namely children. The plain oat cereal was eventually coated in sugar, and the marshmallow shapes were changed as well. But walk through any grocery store today, and you're certain to spot a familiar red box. Those hearts, stars, horseshoes, clovers, blue moons, golden rainbows, and red balloons that all got their start as circus peanuts in 1964 have stuck around as one of the most famous breakfast cereals around, and possibly the most famous leprechaun as well. Lucky Charms. I hope you've enjoyed today's guided tour of the Cabinet of Curiosities. Subscribe for free on Apple Podcasts or learn more about the show by visiting curiositiespodcast.com. This show was created by me, Aaron Mankey, in partnership with How Stuff Works. I make another award-winning show called Lore, which is a podcast, book series, and television show. And you can learn all about it over at theworldoflore.com. And until next time, stay curious. Thank you.